Thank you, Pastor Tom. I appreciate that. And, uh, and uh, let me just say real quick, I just want to thank our staff, you know, for the last four months and all the hard work behind the scenes. And uh, I so appreciate what they've been, what they've done. Um, our volunteers, especially to get ready for today, and um, our volunteers that are serving uh, throughout the building, and um, so, so thankful that we could come back together. And let me just say, you, um, you guys are singing so good today. I can, I can hear you. Can you believe it? I, I can actually hear what it sounds like music in the room, and that's something for a deaf guy to say. I mean, come on. And uh, so you guys are doing great. I even hear the out-of-tune people, too. It's great. It's great. And uh, so I love it. I love it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, and, uh, and we're, we're, just, we're just awesome to hear it, no matter how great or how bad it may sound. It's awesome. It is awesome. And, uh, and let me also say this. Thank you for being a, a gracious church, you know, during this time. This has not been easy uh, to lead a church through a pandemic. I didn't go to school. There was not a class about how to navigate a pandemic, and uh, this is all very brand new. And, uh, but you have been so gracious, so gracious. I, I, in fact, you emailed me uh, positive words, some wrote letters, some stopped by with a cup of coffee or, or something, maybe a, a cookie, and um, you have come by, and you have just blessed me and our staff, and I just thank you. And uh, I, I've not gotten one bad email from anybody. You know, everything's been positive, and, and, and you've just uh, been gracious, gracious uh, to me, and, uh, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Lake Point Church, and, um, and we're just, uh, I'm just, I'm just thankful, I'm grateful. Um, you know, again, if you haven't had a chance, you know, go, go check out the digital program, and you know, the handout notes if you'd like to see that, and you can follow along, and, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, reset, pushing, pushing the reset button. And I don't know if you've experienced this the past few months, uh, especially when we uh, first shut down. Um, everybody stayed at home, worked at home. Everybody had school at home. And, and everybody was on the Internet at the same time. And, uh, and, and I don't know if you experienced it, but I noticed that our Internet was lagging a little, you know, because everybody was on Zoom or they were on the, the Google chat or the Google video um, or whatever they might be on, and, and it was bogging down the Internet. And so I, I would call our Internet company and I'd say, hey, um, what can we do to fix this? And I'd, do I need to buy more bandwidth or there's something on the, on, on the back end that you guys can do, and, and, and it always led to a conversation like this. And about any time you call the internet company or the cable company, they always lead to the question, which says, hey, before we do anything else, what if we push the reset button? Let's try that first. And they would do that. And here's what I've learned. I've learned that there are two types of reset buttons. The first type is a soft reset, a soft reset. And, and it's a little inconvenient, but it's not a big deal. It's about a 20-minute lag, you know, shutdown time, and they kind of reboot. 
and uh, you don't lose anything. And then try that first. And then if it doesn't fix it, if it doesn't fix the problem, then they will do a hard reset. Now, a hard reset, that's painful because it takes everything back to the factory setting, correct? It takes you back and you lose everything. And if it's not in the cloud, you know, then you have to start, basically start over. You got to put all your contact back in, all your favorite preferences and bookmark. And, and it's a little painful. You have to start from scratch. And here's what we're going to talk about in this series called Reset. We're going to talk about for the next few weeks what it means for you and for me and what it means for the church to have a reset, to have a reset. And what does it mean to reset? To start over when everything is falling apart or to start over or to reboot when things freezes up. We need a reset. And let me say this, God specializes in resetting. He specializes throughout the scripture. We see God resetting his people. We see it from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. We see it with Noah. We see it with Moses. We see it at the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Resetting is what God does best. We may not like it. It may seem inconvenient, but God, he knows what he's doing. And the good news is that the resetting, whether you like it or not, it's always, always for your benefit and for God's glory. Always. Now, here's the tension. Here's the tension here as we kind of jump into this. Our tension is, is that we struggle, is that we always want to go back to the familiar instead of going into the unknown. You know, just four months ago, <laughs> it would be safe to say that we would call it the good old days. All right, the good old days. Four, before four months ago, man, it became comfortable. We knew how everything worked. And now the world of change, we are in the unknown. And, and we always, there's a part of us that always want to go back to the good old days, to what's comfortable, to what's familiar. We don't like. We don't like the unknown. We don't like it when life freezes. Well, when you see on your computer that little circle, that little multicolor circle that keep going and going. You're like, oh no, something bad is happening. We don't like the unknown. We like to go back to the familiar. But here's what we're going to talk about. A reset, not about going back to the normal comfort of what we knew, but a reset set things back to the way they're supposed to be according to the will of God. It's supposed to be a reset to where God wants to take us, not where we want to be. And as followers of Christ, we have to move in the direction that God is leading us instead of moving back to where we used to be. We have to push 
the reset button. In fact, I would say God is pushing it for us right now. Pushing a reset. How do we reset? We reset with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power, it moves us into a healthy rhythms of life. And this is what we find in the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Now, let me talk about the book of Acts, and then we'll dive into the scriptures here. The book of Acts is written by a doctor, Dr. Luke, what I like to call him. In fact, he wrote the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts is like a part two of his, of, of his two books that he written. The gospel of Luke, of course, is written about the life of Christ, the teaching, the miracles, the, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's very detailed uh, it's a very detailed book. And then the book of Acts was written, and it's written for the idea of the church and, and uh, how the church got started and how the, the movement you know, uh, spread like wildfire, not just in Jerusalem, but all throughout the known world. And that's what the book of Acts, in fact, it's so detailed that, you know, Dr. Luke was so detailed that this is one of the most detailed books in the Bible, and that there was an atheist uh, professor, and in fact, an atheist archaeologist named Dr. William Ramsey, or Sir William Ramsey, back in the early 1900s, and, and he, was, uh, he was going to disprove the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts. He figured if he could find errors in the book of Acts, then he could write off the whole Bible. And so this atheistic archaeologist went into the area of Acts and looked at all the details, and he came out, couldn't find one error, one mistake, and he turned his life around for the Lord Jesus Christ and became a devout Christian, Christian man. And so this is Luke. Luke is very much in the details. And, and, and in the beginning of the book, he introduces a, a man named Theophilus. Theophilus. The word Theo and then Phyllis. Theo means God, theology, God. Phyllis means love. We get the word phileo. We know a city in our country called Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love, okay? And so Theophilus names mean beloved by God or friend of God. And we don't know exactly who this person is. Uh, this was a very common name in the Romans and the Jewish time period. Uh, some believe that this could have been a Roman official. Uh, others believe that this could have been a lawyer, maybe the Apostle Paul's lawyer. We're not sure. Others said that this was just a generic name for all who are the friends of God or beloved of God. And so we see Luke describing here in the beginning of the book of Acts the hard reset of Jesus' disciples. He's about to put the hard reset. I mean, these disciples, they've spent three years, three years learning from Jesus, hanging out with Jesus. Every day was full of adventure. Every day was something new. And over time, the disciples had gotten comfortable with having Jesus around. And, and this is why Jesus kept telling them, say, hey, guys, I'm going to be leaving here soon. I'm going to be going away. 
And, what, and Jesus said, hey, I'm going to be gone. And at some point, you're gonna ha- we're going to have to push the reset button. The way you know, it's going to change. But it's going to change for the better. Trust me. Trust me. And so we're going to look into this. And, uh, and, and we'll see in your handout notes, you see four major points. We're only going to cover the first two today. So if, you, you know, if we're about halfway in, 30 minutes, and I'm still on point two, don't freak out. We'll be done, okay? Um, so we're only going to look at it, and next week we'll kind of finish this up. But let's look at the first point. As we look in the first chapter of Acts, we see the reset button being pushed by God. And in order for God to reset, sometimes he commands us to wait. He commands you, he commands me to wait. Sometimes we have to wait. Notice what Luke says, and we see that name Theophilus here in just a sec. He said, in my former book, Theophilus, he's talking about the gospel of Luke. He said, Theophilus, beloved of God, friend of God. He said, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, that was the cross, he presented himself to them, this is the resurrection, and gave many convincing proof that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. You're going to wait. Wait for what? He said, you're going to wait for the gift my father promised. Okay, what's the gift? Well, Jesus has been talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, my advocate, my counselor, the counselor, the advocate, he's going to come and live within you. He said, he said, he said you're going to wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. I'll talk about this. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. That means you're going to have a, uh, you're going to be immersed with the Spirit of God in your life. And you're going to know it. It's going to come very crystal clear. It's going to happen, and there's going to be no mistake about what just took place. But you have been baptized. You have been immersed. You have been identified with the Holy Spirit. And here we find the disciples, okay, Jesus says, you know, you know you're going to stay in Jerusalem. Now, these guys are from Galilee, all right? That's a five-day walk from Jerusalem. All right, Jerusalem's not their home. Galilee's their home. And so Jesus said, you're going to stay in, in Jerusalem, and you're going to wait. A stay-at-home order, if you will. That's what Jesus did. He said, why they stayed in Jerusalem, God was busy setting up, busy resetting, preparing for the launch of this new movement called the church. Now, the disciples, they only knew that they'd be waiting for a few days. They had no definite time period, but they knew that the order would be lifted when the Holy Spirit come inside of them. Look at verse number six. So they gathered around him. And I asked Jesus, he said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, God, you know, we were, 
we knew that you were going to come someday to establish your kingdom here on earth. And Jesus, he very clearly said, no, that's the first coming now. First coming, I came to be the savior of the world. And then next time I come, I'll be the king of the world. I'll be the ruler. I will establish my kingdom and the second return. What still, by the way, what's still waiting for the second coming of Jesus? We're still waiting for him to return. And, and, and believe me, a lot of us, we've, we've been thinking what I've been thinking. You know, is the end near? Is it about to happen? And, and let's just be honest, we don't know. We might think it is, and we should live like Jesus could come any moment, at any time. Jesus could come back today. We believe that Jesus could come back next week. We believe that he could come next year. He could come in our lifetime. In fact, he may not come in our lifetime. But we live like he's coming back today. And so the guys are like, hey, it, you know, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom on earth? And notice what Jesus said. He said to them, it's not for you to know the time or date. The Father has set by his own authority. In other words, I don't know and you don't know. We don't know when. He said, but in the meanwhile, that's what the word but means here. But while we're waiting, while we're waiting for the for me to come back, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Notice that Jesus said that they're to wait until, they, until they're to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Many times in our Christian life, we don't wait. You hear me? We don't wait. I know I don't do this sometimes. Sometimes I like to get ahead of God. I know that you do that too. Sometimes the church, we want to get ahead of God. We want to live in our own flesh. We want to do it in our own flesh. We don't want to follow the, the leading of the Spirit of God. And, and, and oftentimes, we want to achieve before we receive. If you're taking note. God wants us to be receivers before we become achievers. He tells the disciples, you're going to wait and you will receive power. And then when you receive power, then you can go and achieve the things I want you to do. But oftentimes, we get it backwards. We try to achieve you say, you know what, if I work for God, if I do this, and then just maybe, just maybe God will give me the power later on. But that's not how God wants us to work. He wants us to wait in his presence, wait for his spirit to lead us, to guide us, to fill us, not to get ahead of God, not to get ahead of him. We're the first be receiver before we become achievers. Don't get it backwards. Because many times when you try to do it without the Spirit of God, you will fall flat on your face. You will only go so far. You won't go where you want to go, and where you go, you end up feeling less of what God wants, where he wants to take you. We ought to wait on God because when we have God's Spirit, God leading us, it will take us so much farther than you can do on your own. You know, the past few months, man, I've been wanting to wait. But, man, there were times I was like, let's go. Let's go. What are we waiting for? 
And God, and I would seek God and pray and ask God and seek wisdom and, and prayerfully seek his voice and asking God for his direction because I don't want to be ahead of God. I don't want to take the church ahead of, of where he wants to take us one step at a time. And there was a time where actually God, I had to pray the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. God, not my will. But I want to follow your will. Because my will, hey, my will gets in the way many times. And your will will get in the way every time from what God wants to do. I said, not my will, but yours, God. I want to do your will. I want to wait. I want to receive. I want to receive your presence. I want to receive your spirit. And once I, once I receive what you want me to do, then I will achieve. I will achieve what God wants me to do. God put the reset button, but while it all, when he puts the reset button, he commands us to wait. Oftentimes, we just want to get it done. You know, we want to get it done. We want to go. God said, hey, wait. Reset. Reset. Don't go ahead of me. Wait. Here's the second thought. A reset can sometimes be painful. It can be painful. Like I've already talked about, it's not fun. I have my two kids, and, uh, and I'm sure every mom and dad know what I'm talking about. But when they're babies, you know, they, we, we, have a, we have a tool called a pacifier. It's a very important tool. And, uh, and, and, and when the baby starts crying, we, we, you know, I, I just learned to find that pacifier and, and to pop it in that baby's mouth. And it works. Even if it was five minutes of peace, it was better than no peace. All right? And I just put that thing in the mouth. And, uh, you know, have you ever noticed that, you know, the first baby, you know, the pacifier fell on the ground? We got some moms and dads here that got their first babies recently. And I see Brian and Allie somewhere. And uh, they've had their first baby recently. You know, you drop the pacifier. Oh, no. You got to boil it, you know, and clean it. You know, the second baby, though, the pacifier falls on the ground. You know, you, you, you run it over hot water. You don't boil it. It's a hot water, right? And if you have a third baby and that pacifier falls on the ground, you know, by then, you know, you just uh, wipe it on your pants. <laughs> you know, the fourth baby, you know, the pacifier falls on the ground. You just look for the dog and you put the pacifier in the dog's mouth and then, and, and then it's good to go, you know. But anyway, the pacifier. I mean, there's something magical about the pacifier. And, and I know our baby, you know, it's great. And then they turn one, it's still there. And I always have a pacifier in my pocket. You just never know when you need it, you know, and that's just have it, you know. But then, you know, they get the tube, the terrible tube. And, you know, at some point, we've got to get rid of the pacifier. They can't live with the pacifier all their lives. And, and, and that, you know, it becomes, that pacifier, we call it a binky, right? That binky, you know, becomes a comfort. It becomes more of a security thing. They're not wanting it to stop crying. They just want it because they're used to it. And if you don't give it to, the, you know, your child at two years old, then they cry bloody murder. They want that pacifier. They want that binky. 
And then you just kind of cave. It's okay. You're at the beach and you're trying to figure out. And Karen and I, we're trying to figure out how. I mean, this is painful. How do we stop the pinky thing? And I told Karen, I said, I got an idea. I said, well, let's take a pair of scissors and every day we'll just start nipping it. Nipping a little bit of that, you know, that pacifier and we start nipping it. And so the very first cut, you know, we still, you know, you could still put it in the child's mouth, you know, but it had a little hole in it now and we give it to the child and, the, and the, you get their face. They're like, and they're trying to look at it. What is wrong with this thing? You know, and uh, okay, let's put it back in their mouth. Okay. The next day, we find the pacifier, that little pinky, and we, another cut. We'll do this for about three, four, five days until, it got, until there's, no, there's nothing left. And, and by then, the child don't care about it no more. Our babies and our little our, our kids, they're like, forget about it. This thing's not worth it. And they moved on, and it worked for us. I don't know if it worked. I don't know if it worked for everybody, but it worked for us. But man, it was painful to get rid of that binky. It was painful. Well, in Acts chapter one, uh, we, we see this. You know, Jesus said, "Hey, you're gonna be, you're gonna wait. You're gonna receive power. Then you're gonna become witnesses." And, and, and then, after he said this in verse number nine, he was taken up before their very eyes. See you later. I see you guys. Take care and. Gone, a cloud hid him before their sight. And so we see Jesus headed back to his heavenly home. And, and you got to know that this had to be a very painful moment for the disciples. I mean, the one that they have been hanging out for three years, heard all incredible teachings, seen his miracles, you know, and, 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 uh, they've experienced light and hope in a rather very dark world. And this was a painful moment. Jesus was leaving. This was just security. This was, this was different. This was like removing the binky. And they didn't like it. They had relied on it for so long. Jesus put their comfort. Now he's gone. Gone. I remember when I went to college in Pensacola, Florida, and my parents drove me down there a thousand miles away, helped me unpack took me out to eat, and then we got back to the place and said, okay, son, see ya. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, that fast? Are we leaving, You're just ready to let's go? I said, no, we got to get back to work, you know? Only took two days off. <laughs> oh, okay. And I remember just standing in the parking lot, just waving, and got tears down my eyes. It was painful. Mom and dad leaving, they're not just a couple hundred miles away, a thousand miles away. This was painful. It was painful for my mom. She cried all through Alabama and part of Tennessee. <laughs> painful. Hey, hey, Jesus is gone. You can sense the disciples' pain when they see Jesus leaving. And when Jesus was telling them, Jesus was giving them heads up and saying, hey, guys, this is going to happen. In John chapter 14, you know this, verse number one, Jesus tells the disciples he's having a little powwow with the disciples before he would be crucified. It's in fact, it's his last little meeting with them. There's one last staff meeting with the disciples. And he said in John chapter 14, verse 1, he said, do not let your heart be troubled. He said, I'm going to go and I'm leaving you and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And one day you're going to come to where I am. It'll be great. But the disciples were like, whoa, 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 especially Thomas. Thomas was like, whoa, back the truck up. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're leaving? How are we going to go where you're going? How are we going to find you? How are we going to get there? 
And as Jesus says in verse number six, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then, you know, you see this over and over and over again in the next few chapters. And then John chapter 16 and verse 7, Jesus says, hey, I'm telling you, it's for your good that I'm going away. I know you're all sad. I know this is hard to hear. I know the reset button is painful, but it's for your good. Trust me. Unless I go away, the advocate, who's the advocate? The, the Holy Spirit. He said, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, reset. Man, it can be painful. But it's for your good. It's for your benefits. I think of resetting a bone. How many, how many of you ever had a bone reset? Anybody in here? Okay, got a couple, okay. You know, it, it, it is as painful as it sounds. You know, and you go to the doctor, you got the broken bone, and he said, hey, if we're going to fix this, if we want to heal, we're going to have to reset the bone. And, and he, he kind of sits you down, and he does it. And when he does it, it, it the pain is so bad, you want to punch him in the face. I mean, it's that bad. You say, what are you doing? This is worse. And the doctor said, trust me, it's better. I know you didn't like the process, but the result means that you have a healthy bone. I played basketball in college, and I fell one time on the ground playing, you know, diving for the ball, and I landed on my pinky, okay? There's a theme today, Ryan put pinky and pinky, okay? I landed on my pinky, and I, I got up, and in my pinky, about halfway up, went sideways. It looked terrible. I thought, oh, no, I broke my finger. I broke my pinky. And so um, one of the guys on the basketball team with the studying to be a doctor and say, hey, Scott, hey, let me see that hand. He look at the hand, and he didn't tell me what he was doing. He just grabbed my little pinky and reset the bone and said, ow, what did you do that for? He said, it's better now. Well, okay, it's a little sore, but yeah, I got, a, I, I got my pinky back. Six months later, it happened again. Same thing, whoop, you know, and uh, there was a different guy on the team. I'm like, oh, man, it's bad. He said, no, I got this, boop. He popped it back in. I said, okay, I got this. All right. It happened a third time. When it happened a third time, same thing, pinky sideways. I look at it, and I'm with a bunch of guys that have never seen it before. I say, oh, man, guys, I think I broke my finger. And they're like, oh, that's disgusting. I said, I know. Pop. I pop it in myself. And I said, who got the ball? And they look at you and say, what just happened? I don't know, but I reset the bone. It's painful, but I'm good, though. I'm good. And after that, after that I quit playing basketball, okay? <laughs> after the pain subsides and the bone was fully healed, we're thankful for the procedure. We're thankful for it. We don't like it in the moment. We don't like the button being pushed. But we're thankful for it. I was once told this statement. you see on the screen above you. The difference of where you are and where God wants to take you is the pain that you're willing to endure. Where God wants to take you. And some of you are like, I don't want the reset button push. But God said, listen, I'm doing it for your good. I'm taking you somewhere, not to the familiar, but I'm taking you to the place where I want to take you. And it's much better. And it's so much better. You got to trust me. 
the difference is how much pain are you willing to endure? And so we're talking about reset. God calling us to wait. When he puts the reset, reset button, he sometimes wants us to wait. We need to wait to receive before we achieve. And we have to understand it's not easy. It's painful. But we are going to trust God with the process. And we're going to let him take us where he wants us to go. Here at the church, we're going to trust him with the reset button. We're going to give him the reset button and say, God, not your will, not my will, but yours, yours be done. Here at Lake Point Church, we have a mission statement, and that is we want to help people take their next step with God. Helping people take their next step with God, and for the past four months, God might be working in your heart. There may be some things in your life that God has been working and, and you have been sensing the reset button being pushed. I know because some of you have come and talked to me. They said, God is doing some changing in my life during this time of the, of the pandemic, of the stay at home, the quarantine. But God has not wasted that time. God has not wasted that moment. And God is using that to change me. And you might be sitting here, maybe you've been oblivious to the fact that God is working through there in your life. And I hope that maybe for the first time in four months that your eyes are open to the fact that God is doing something. You may not like it, it may be painful, but he's doing something to take you where he wants you to go, not where you want to go. Taking a next step with God. And my question for you, what is your next step today? What is your next step and maybe for some of them, someone here today, your next step is to ask Jesus into your life. You've been trying to do life on your own, on your own plan, your own path. And you've come to realize that you need something. In fact, you need someone. And his name is Jesus. And you're just trying to figure out how that reset button is pushed. My friend, Jesus is waiting for you. All you have to do is cry out to him and say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm tired of trying to do life my way. I want to follow after your way. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus said, come to me, all those who are weary and tired and heavy burden. Come to me, and I will find real rest, real peace that you're craving for, that you're looking for. And it's found in Jesus. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, I invite you to give your life to Christ. And God will put the reset button of your life and give you a new change, a new life that's only found in Jesus. I'm going to pray in just a minute. During that prayer, I'm going to invite those who need to make that decision to pray a prayer. Bible says all we have to do is cry out in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thou shalt be saved. You can do it right where you're at. You're not praying it to me. You're praying in the silence of your heart. And we have a heavenly father who hears. He's listening. And he's waiting for you. Our heavenly father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you help us to embrace the reset.
Embrace the resetting that you're doing in our lives. Help us to wait. And God, help us. God, help us to embrace it, even though it might be painful. God, there may be someone here that's in this room right now, or maybe they're watching online, and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life to be your Lord and Savior. And today, that's your next step. And you want to give your life to God so that he can put the reset button of your heart, give you a new life that could only be found in Jesus. The Bible says we have to cry out to him. And here's the prayer. Pray out, pray in the quietness of your heart, in the privacy of your heart. And here's the prayer. And you can say, dear God, I'm a sinner. And today, I'm giving my heart to you. I'm tired, tired of doing life my way. And today, I surrender and I give my life to you. God, I'm asking you to put the reset button in my heart. Give me a new life, a new joy, new peace. Forgive me of all my sins, my past sins, my present sins, even the sins I'll commit next week. God, you forgive me of all my sins. And today, today, I'm asking you to come to my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And if you're here today, no one's looking. Mr. Scott, today I've asked God to put the reset button on my heart. And I asked him to come into my life to be my Lord, be my Savior. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make people look at you. I just want to celebrate with you one-on-one. But if that's you, will you just look at me and just raise your hand? If there's anyone in this room, we had a couple hands in the first service. Are there any in the second service here today? Maybe you're watching online. Who's here that said, man, I asked Jesus to come into my life. Is there anybody like that? I see one hand right here. Anybody else? I asked Jesus to come to my heart. Thank you. Put your hand down, sir. Anyone else? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can gather together to hear your word. We thank you for the decisions that have been made today. And God, we pray that you help us one day at a time to help us to wait during the time of the reset button being pushed. And although it might be painful, God, help us to know that it's for our good, whether we like it or not. But it's for our good, and it's for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.